This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. Yo, welcome back to the show. Today, we have another Q&A. We have some really good questions today, and I am stoked to dive into these. Now, that said, before we get into the questions, I wanted to remind you of the eight-week programs that are dropping next week. One geared towards helping you build as much lean muscle as possible. The other geared towards helping you create more fat loss and get functionally stronger than you've ever been before. So, if you are someone that has been training for years you still don't look like you work out if you're somebody that goes into the gym and you have no idea what you are doing you don't have any structure at all or if you're somebody that wants a better understanding and knowledge of programming so you can have more confidence in the programs you create for yourself and for your clients that you'll actually get the results that you're wanting out of your programs these programs will be crazy beneficial for you link to these to hop on the wait list is in the show notes spots are limited for these so hit the link in the show notes Drop your email on the wait list and we will get you rolling with the program next week. All right, without any further ado, let's go ahead and hop right into the questions. All right, so first question of the day. Let me pull it up here. I'm confused about reverse dieting. Can you explain when and why someone would implement it as well as how? All right, so reverse dieting. Um, yeah. Reverse dieting in a nutshell is essentially this process of us gradually matching your calorie intake with increases in your metabolism. So what reverse dieting is not, which is often something people are confused about, it's not a magical way for us to boost your metabolism. So if we look at the components of your metabolism, so basically when we implement a reverse diet is at the end of a fat loss phase. So when an online client that's working with me is done with the fat loss phase and basically we want to ramp their metabolism up as high as possible so they can maintain on as many calories as possible without gaining fat, that's the process of reverse dieting. That So basically it's just us finding the upper limits of their maintenance range. So to explain this a little bit deeper, you need to also understand what happens to your body when you diet. So basically... As you know, your, our bodies are very adaptive. So as we diet, essentially our basal metabolic rate decreases, our non-exercise activity decreases, we're eating less food, so the thermic effect of food decreases. And since we're moving a smaller body, the thermic effect of exercise decreases. So all this accounts to our metabolism essentially being slower. And a lot of this, again, is a product of, it's essentially a product of our body being smaller so therefore it burns fewer calories both at rest and during movement and we're straight up just eating less so we have less energy and we're burning fewer calories during digestion so post diet when we start to feed clients more energy shoots up we're burning more calories during digestion if we gain some weight via muscle mass potentially even a bit of fat um and that again often that's the goal of a reverse diet is to try to avoid unnecessary fat gain but sometimes like if a client got photo shoot lean for example then to get them back to a healthy position they're going to need to gain a little bit of fat so the goal of a reverse diet is again slowly ramping up metabolism or i should say slowly ramping up calories to match the metabolic increases we see 
and like seeing how far we can take a client's diet or a client's, excuse me, their maintenance calories without them gaining fat. So basically like in a nutshell, I'll just walk you through the actual process that I take clients through. So typically we'll return. So like, let's say you've just finished a fat loss phase. You have lost 30 pounds, right? Now you're at a point where you feel great. You literally just want to maintain about the body fat you're seeing at right now. This feels maintainable. You don't feel terrible by any means. So biofeedback is still good. So first and foremost, we're going to return you to about 90% of your estimated maintenance calories. And then we return to 90% instead of 100% just to be sure we don't overshoot maintenance. As clients, again, you'll probably want to take extra precautions here to avoid excess fat gain. Um, And generally, most of this increase in calories is going to come through carbs, which we know will give you typically more physiological benefits plus better training and recovery given you're already eating at least 0.3 grams of fat per pound of body weight. So from there, we'll watch how that impacts your weight and measurements. And it's very important, like in the reverse dieting process, that you keep track of, you continue to track your body measurements. Because a mistake a lot of people make post-diet, and this is really just like in the practice phase of the 3P fat loss model, (laughs) it's so important that you keep tracking metrics. Because so many people like at post-diet, they just don't hop on the scale for a couple months or they don't take measurements for a couple months. And that's a very easy way to just pull the wool over your own eyes and lose a lot of progress. So we keep tracking all the metrics and every week we're looking at, okay, well, basically for the first week we look at, okay, how did your body, how is your body impacted by by this jump to about 90% of the maintenance? Now, this first week we're expecting you to see a few pounds of weight gain due to, to increase the glycogen stores. You'll have more gut content. And it's also normal to see an increase in the two inches below the navel mark, which is one of the, what, like seven measurements that I have my clients, yes, seven measurements that I have my clients take, just because that's the one that's most reactive to gut content. Basically, you literally have more food in your belly. So the reality is, though, our metrics shouldn't show much fat gain or past this first week two, we shouldn't see any major shifts. So from there, we just adjust your nutrition based on the metrics. So Again, after weeks one to two, where we'll typically see some weight and measurement increases, we're looking to increase calories to start pushing your maintenance calories up, but without fat gain. So with what we talked about with adaptive thermogenesis, you'll realize that as we're feeding you more, you're also going to be burning more calories. So again, your body is going to be having a very positive response to this increase in calories. Um, you're just going to have, you're going to do more things like fidgeting, pacing, blinking. You're going to be able to train harder in the gym. You're going to be eating more food. You're going to be eating, actually protein will probably be about the same, but you'll be eating more calories. So you're burning more calories during digestion. Again, even if your body is just like, let's say five pounds heavier from an increase in glycogen and gut content, that's five pounds more that your body has to expend energy to move throughout the day. All this leads to you burning more calories and therefore your maintenance calorie increases. And a reverse diet is basically us just matching calories with this increase over, for some clients, this process is four weeks. For some clients, we can bump this up for literally a few months and we can get your maintenance calories quite high. So, um, Generally, these bumps are anywhere from 50 to 150 calories, really depending on how large you are as a client. But the thing to realize here is that the degree to which we can increase your maintenance without fat gain 
is primarily dependent on how adaptive your metabolism is. So when, and I know I've talked about adaptive versus rigid metabolisms multiple times on this podcast, but basically we see some people that have this very small range that they can maintain. And so these are people like myself, you don't have to cut calories too crazy low to lose fat, but also if you push calories high, you will gain fat rapidly. Whereas you also probably know people that their body composition never really changes. Like they never really seem to lose weight or gain weight. These are people who, for whatever reason, non-exercise activity. So just little things like fidgeting or like just making decisions to go on walks all the time. They're, they're constantly going out of their way to move more. And as we feed them more, they just tend to ramp up calories burned through movement more and more and more. So these people can maintain on quite high calories. So typically it really depends on the client, like how far we can ramp up maintenance. But again, for some people we can ramp it up quite high. So essentially, um, we're looking to take this for most people. We're looking to take this as a point where, okay, I feel like this is a good amount of food for me. I feel satiated. My biofeedback is good. I'm still not gaining fat, not gaining weight, or we're at a point where weight and measurements are stable and I feel good. I can realistically maintain this. And some people, um, want to be able to eat more and like if it's somebody with an adaptive metabolism we can keep focusing on ramping this up a little bit more now that said again there's nothing we can magically increase here like you have to realize the more calories we feed you the more calories you have to burn to maintain there's no like magic key here that we like oh shit we reverse dieted just right so now you can maintain on 5,000 calories that's not how it works you have to continually ramp up movement or gain weight, which again is generally not most people's goal to keep ramping up calories. We have to match calories in, calories out still. Okay, so in a nutshell, that's essentially like biofeedback is good, weight measurements are stable. That's when we stop it. Again, it's not a way that we can magically like ramp up your metabolism to a crazy extent. Some people, some of it's natural, like we will see metabolism increase some coming out of a diet. And this is just like a very structured plan for the diet after the diet, which is crazy important. It's a huge part for like online clients being coached through maintenance in general is so damn important for long-term results. Something I'm a huge believer in and something I've talked about on this show a lot, but the extent to which we can ramp up your maintenance very much depends on your genetics, like how well you respond to overfeeding. You tend to ramp up need a lot or a little now again like all people no matter what like coming out of a diet your maintenance calories your new maintenance post diet will be a little bit lower than like and this is true universally then like after we feed you a bit more you'll tip you will have more energy we will have a higher thermic effect of food regardless so metabolism will speed up some but how much that is depends on the client but this is a much better process and again i'm not a fan of like the like the old method of reverse dieting that people are often referring to is like, okay, post diet, we're keeping you in a deficit and we're literally just increasing by like 50 to 100 calories over the course of months until like three months later, you finally come out of deficit. That's stupid. There's no, there's no logical reason for us to do that. Um, especially like as uh, there's not a, there's not a logical reason behind it. So this method is just basically a method to find maintenance and i have rambled on this long enough let's move on to our next question which is 
I need to be better about just having these pulled up. I've been avoiding sugar because I hear that if you eat sugar, your insulin rises, which causes fat gain. But how much sugar would you have to eat for that to happen? All right, so um, this isn't true. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of fear mongering about insulin and about sugar, but the reality is it does all come back to calories, right? Like we know we have the Twinkie Diet, Professor Mark Quab, who I hopefully I say his name because I've said it a shit ton of time, correctly because I've said it a shit ton of times on the podcast, but. The Twinkie Diet guy who lost 27 pounds in 10 weeks, we saw his health markers significantly increase, eating a diet of mostly Twinkies, protein shakes, and a can of green beans, right? Um, that said, like, as she mentioned, insulin, which she's referring to here, is insulin can act as a shuttling agent that allows the glucose to enter fat cells and essentially increase your body fat, which is the common argument, not just against sugar, but against carbs as a whole because it's well known that carbs spike insulin but we have to realize that the reality of gaining body fat is even when insulin insulin levels and carb intake is low your body can still gain fat so for example there's an enzyme in your fat cells called hormone sensitive lipase or hsl and hsl helps break down fat insulin suppresses the activity of hsl and thus suppresses the breakdown of fat which has caused people to point fingers at carbs for causing fat gain. However, fat also suppresses HSL even when insulin levels are low. This means you'll be unable to lose fat even when carb intake is low if you're overeating on calories. Now, that's just one argument against it, but we also have to realize that this whole argument against insulin because it causes fat gain is so incredibly flawed because many high protein foods stimulate insulin release to a similar or even greater level than high carb foods. Like it's been shown by studies that whey protein actually causes a greater insulin response than white bread. Cheese, beef, and fish create more insulin release than brown or white pasta and are on similar levels to brown rice. So this really, and if you want to look up the insulin index of foods it's crazy it's when you see this it's wild to think that people have demonized insulin so much also if you want to learn more about insulin look up um i believe it's called insulin and undeserved bad reputation by james krieger such a good series of blogs um but like truly when you understand this when you look at this insulin index of foods it just completely shits on this idea that we need to avoid carbs or avoid sugar to control insulin and therefore prevent fat gain because nobody is out here. Nobody that's promoting a low carb diet is also saying you should keep this crazy low protein. And we see that protein spikes insulin significantly. So the reality is like it isn't insulin in itself. That's the culprit. And we also know that and this is not so commonly known or not so commonly seen, but insulin is actually a satiety hormone. And research has literally shown us that meals that create a large insulin release are more filling. But this does really line up what is relatively common knowledge for many that have successfully lost a large amount of fat and truly a big piece of what I teach my online clients, which is focusing on including protein at each meal and fibrous carb sources in most meals is one of the best ways to prevent hunger. So 
again, like insulin isn't at all something we need to demonize. If you are overeating calories, regardless of if they are calories that cause greater insulin spikes or calories that do not, you will gain fat. You will gain weight, I should say, and potentially fat. Um, If we are under eating calories, regardless if it spikes your insulin or it does not, we will lose weight. So this is truly not something that I would overthink. Again, sugar in isolation, insulin in isolation, neither are going to make you fat. Now, do I think that like the reality is many sugary processed foods are likely going to be hyper palatable. They're likely going to be a bit easier to overeat. So if like 80% of your diet is just these sugary processed foods, it's likely going to be very hard to control your appetite and therefore you're a lot more likely to overeat. So like I always talk about with my online clients, it's a good rule of thumb to keep it 80 to 90% whole foods, 10 to 20% quote unquote flexible foods, foods you enjoy, foods you want to work in. And those might include like some processed sugar, which is perfectly fine. Again, it's about finding this balance, what works well for you and what allows you to really control your appetite. But we absolutely don't need to be scared of these insulin spikes. And final question for the day. Yo, I've been a coach for two years, but I am still struggling to get my clients results and to stay consistent in the long term. Any advice? All right, so um, so much of this comes down to like, I mean, it's such a this could be a whole episode in itself, but um, so much of it comes down to like the art of coaching, or like I know for me, so when I first started coaching, I know my first couple of years, whenever my clients would leave they would lose their results almost. It would seem like within like the first couple of months, they would just completely fall flat on their face. And it was very frustrating for me because I felt like, like, man, like I literally feel like these people are just wasting their money coming to, to me. Um, like when I'm not right there by their side, they just aren't. It's like, I'm not teaching them anything. They're not maintaining their results. That shit drove me crazy because truly I felt like it wasn't really helping people and I was essentially just, I felt like I was just taking their money, which has really pushed me to become a much, much better coach. But at the time it was very frustrating. So um, I think the biggest thing since then has really for me getting super clear on like, what are the principles that my coaching service needs to embody at the time my in-person coaching? And now, and this is even since I've, since I've created my online coaching service, I feel like this is evolved so much more as I've gained a deeper understanding, especially I would say over the last three years, as I've really started to think think deeply about what are the characteristics that embody a good coach? What do I need to give my clients? Like not necessarily what do they want right now, but what do I actually need to do for them to create the most change in their lives long-term, which is often a lot different actually than like what your clients might want or might want to hear from you right now. So this is actually something I put a lot of thought to, thought into, especially recently, um, because as I expand my business more, as I potentially bring others onto my team, I want to make sure that my principles are hyper clear. So I mean, shit, I'll just go ahead and dive in. And this is essentially like, as I'm bringing potentially other coaches onto my team, these are the principles that I'm going to be indoctrinating them into. First and foremost, a coach is a leader, not a savior. So clients have to understand 
that no one else can do the work for them. As coaches, we're here to guide clients to become a more independent version of themselves who can do shit for themselves, not to make them dependent on us forever. Now, this truly so much comes out of the art of coaching because the reality is part of the process is, especially at the start, we're literally like handholding people to teach them. But as a coach, if you never teach a client how to think for themselves, if you never teach them how to troubleshoot for themselves, they're going to fail as soon as you quit working with them. If you've already done every already done everything for them, it's like the kid that their parents did everything for them their whole childhood and then they can't go out and be successful on their own. So like part of the process of being a good coach is like teaching people how to like take the information you give them and start implementing it on their own. Like, and it's just simple questions like, Hey, before I give you my input, tell me what you think we should do here. And from there, I'll give you my thoughts and we'll kind of collaborate to greater strategy from there. Just little simple things like that. But And this comes back down to expectations too. Like even on the initial call, this is a huge thing I focus on. Like no one else can do the work for you. I'm not here to save you. Nobody here is going to be your savior. You have to be your own savior. You're the one that has to put in the work here. I'm a guide. I can give you all the information. You're the one that has to do the work to get the results you want. Um, And like, if you position yourself as like, yeah, uh, just, I got you. Just, I'm going to do everything for you. Um, literally just sign up and you'll get the results. That's not how it works for anybody. And if you position it like that, like even long-term, short-term, if you do fucking everything for your clients, but you never teach them how to be independent, if you never teach them how to apply these principles on their own, they're not going to be successful, which is a very hard thing for trainers. It's a very hard thing for coaches to balance. And admittedly, it's still a hard thing for me to balance because it very much like our job is like to teach people how to make this work. And sometimes like saying like, yo, give me your thoughts on this and then I'll help you collaborate. I'll help you strategize from there. It does feel weird. Almost like you're not, (laughs) it's, it's a, it's a different thing for sure. And again, like sometimes people do just want an information dump, but again, like we're not here to just info dump on people because long-term that isn't actually helping them. If the goal is to ever have them allow them to be independent without you. Secondly, a good coach helps clients understand trade-offs. So such a good example of this is like the common thinking that, okay, you went over your macros, you fucked up, right? Or you skipped your cardio, you fucked up. Now, the reality is like often that's just coaches putting their own like their own personal standards or like almost taking this too personally. So the important thing like I like to talk about with my clients, like anytime like and typically this is something that comes up beforehand so for example um i had a client that wanted to go camping this week and she didn't want to track her calories right she's in a fat loss phase so we could just say no like don't track your calories in a fat loss phase right but the reality is like is her life isn't just this just fitness right so for her we literally just talked through like hey i just want you to understand the trade-offs here like if you don't track your calories, you yeah, you won't have to think about food. You probably won't have to stress about it. You might even be able to have a little bit more freedom and enjoy yourself more. But you have to understand that comes with the trade-off of slower progress. On the other hand, you can track your calories, 
but that also means you have to think about it more. Um, you might not be able to eat some, eat or drink some things that you normally that you would on this trip otherwise. But that comes with the trade-off of faster progress. Which of these is more important to you in the context of your goals, in the context of what you want? And truly, like that way, either way, if your client can think through like any of these scenarios like this in that situation they'll never feel guilty. And really for most people, this is so essential. Like if you can just look at like, if you can truly understand, okay, what trade-offs am I choosing to make here? As opposed to like, let's look at the situation where like, let's say you, this client just didn't think about it at all. She drank a ton of wine, smashed a ton of food while she just came in and came back. She's like, man, I feel like shit. I'm so pissed at myself that I did that. Completely different situation than if she goes into like, what is most important to me right now is being present with my friends, hanging out, um, I want a little bit more flexibility to enjoy this wine. I don't want to worry about tracking, so I'm not going to. And I'm okay with that. Like, if she's okay with those that trade-offs, that trade-off, excuse my grammar, <laughs> then that is perfectly fine. But it's such a, so it's like taking the black and white out of it. And truly, like, when clients look at things like this, we're setting them up for, when we teach clients how to weigh things like this, and truly people carry it over so much more than training nutrition, like most lessons we learn within training nutrition. So, but when we teach clients how to make decisions like this, it truly sets them up for a lifetime of decisions aligned with their goals and really is truly like <laughs> critical thinking. It's, it's so damn important. All right, um, next, a good coach educates clients. Or should I say over-educates clients? So, pretty simple. Like if your clients leave your coaching service without understanding how to handle their training and nutrition on their own, they're set up for failure. I know when I first started coaching, I basically thought my job was to sell information, right? <laughs> I sell people good workouts and I sell people good nutrition advice. That's so not true. Like the reality is every person li listening to this could hop on my blog and on the, f within the first page, you'll know exactly how I set your macros. You have free templates for like every training's most training splits that I prescribe with such stupid detailed notes about how to make this training program fit you. All the information is out there and that's not what people are missing. We don't sell information, but us going out of our way to over-educate our clients and to make sure they understand like, hey, in the context of your life, this is exactly why we're making this nutrition adjustment. This is why what we're doing, what we're doing with your training this month. This is our progression from last month. This is what I want you to focus on this month. This is why this is important. This is why these metric changes are important. This is why we're putting you on a diet break right now. This is how we practice maintenance. This is why this is so important. Teaching our clients things like that, that they can take away and apply on their own in the future is exactly how we create lasting results. And if we don't do that again, like you're just making the client codependent on you. If you just give your clients their macros, their training, all right, like see you next session or like talk to you next check-in, you're not fucking helping them long-term. We have to educate clients in order to like truly create change. And like if you're someone that's trying to build an online business, the best thing you can do is over-educate educate your clients and make them not need you. Because yeah, well, they might leave for the rest of their lives, they're literally a ripped walking billboard for you. Like this has been one of the biggest things that's helped me grow my business. As somebody that has not that many Instagram followers or anything like that, it's I have so many clients out there now that former clients that don't work with me anymore 
but I get so many good referrals because all these amazing people, all these amazing in great shape people that used to work with me. So, um, again, I can't enough. Just education is crazy important. Um, a good coach asks questions before prescribing. So similar to what we talked about before, just and like really through, I believe to individualize, we first need to ask a lot of questions. You can't really say you're an individualized coach if you don't really dig deep into like the client's lifestyle. What do they want? And like for me, within my coaching services, comes all the way back to the initial call. This is why we have this long ass initial call where we talk for an hour, an hour and a half sometimes, where then I have you go through this in depth questionnaire, shoot me a movement screen, so many different things, and like consistent communication throughout the week. Uh, your daily accountability tracker, so many different things so we can truly get a feel for where you're at and actually make this fit you and your lifestyle. But also just simply asking like, like I talked about before, what do you think is the best route to take here? Like asking your clients that before you prescribe something or like laying out multiple options like, yo, okay, we need to adjust. Like fat loss has stalled from the metrics. So would you rather decrease calories or increase cardio? Um, within our calories, like which of these options would be, which of these two adjustments would be easier for you to stick to? Different things like that, um, they truly make all the difference in creating programs that our clients can actually stick to long-term. A good coach's main priority isn't being liked. <laughs> Again, a good coach's main priority is not being liked. So don't get it twisted. I love all of my online clients and truly I believe empathy and relationships are a huge part of coaching. So this isn't me saying you should just be a dick to your clients, <laughs> but just saying whatever you think your will make your clients like you is doing them such a big disservice. If you're scared to have those hard conversations with your clients, if you're scared to lay out the facts of where they're really at with your clients and give your clients your objective opinions because you're scared that'll make them like you less, you're not doing them a service at all. You're literally hurting their results and you don't have their best interest in mind if you're not having those hard conversations with them. The reality is most of the people that we work with won't have, don't have anybody that like lays things out like this for them. Your clients, our clients don't need us to be yes men. Now, again, please don't get this twisted. Like I love all my clients. <laughs> I consider all of them my friends and some of them are my very close friends. But first and foremost, your clients need you to hold them accountable and have those hard conversations that'll push them forwards towards their goals. And those are the main principles that I built my coaching service around. And truly, I think like if your coach is struggling to get your clients results, like you mentioned here, if you focus on just those five principles, it'll help tremendously. All right, guys, that is all I have for you today. If you enjoyed this Q&A, do me a huge favor. Take a screenshot of this podcast on your phone, share it to your Instagram story, and tag me. I want to connect with you, and together, we're really growing the reach of the show. All right, again, I appreciate you tuning in. Until next time, this is Living Lean.